Pomcast 6 is sponsored by Blacker, producers of 100% pure natural British yarns, and the only company in the country that spins both woolen and worsted yarns under the same roof. Visit them to find out more at blackeryarns.co.uk. And welcome to Pomcast number six, the podcast brought to you by Pom Pom Magazine. I'm Lydia Gluck and I'm here, as I always am, with the delightful Sophie Scott. Hi, Sophie. Hello. I'm delightful this week. I love it. <laughs> Next time you'll be fantastic. But for today, delightful. That's good. I'm, I'm half, I can be delightful. Okay. Yeah, try. Yeah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What have you been up to? Um, not, well, many things. Mm-hmm. Uh, most importantly... For me, I passed my driving theory test. Woohoo! Very hey, pleased. Woo woo woo! Which means that I am one step closer to being able to officially drive things. Yeah, so that's my big news. How about you? Um, well, I moved into my new house, which I was very stressed about last podcast, but now I'm feeling a little bit more settled. It's nice to kind of get everything unpacked and be in one place, which is a novelty. Mm. And then I have my birthday, which is even nicer. Cool, man. New house, new year of existence. I'm so much older and wiser. Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so you saw your fam also? Yes, I went home to the the rural area of the world, the north, and... uh, To the wilds. To the wilds, yeah. Did you have to climb a big ice wall? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, winter's coming, so... Um, no, I did lots of rural things like walking the dog over fields and picking apples and a big bonfire. Kind of sounds quite pagan in my existence when I go back home. Was there a wicker man? No, no, no. no. Oh, it's disappointing. <laughs> uh, so that was lovely. Yes, mainly dog. Dog times are good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yes, uh, what's happening this week with the Pomcast? We've got exciting interviews with Gudrun Johnson uh, from Shetland Trader fame. She, uh, she rang us via Skype it's our new thing Skype interviews they're the thing that we love now on the podcast future is now yep and she rang us all the way from Shetland and we had a lovely chat to her so that's coming later in the podcast yes we also have our classic bits of tell and tell mm-hmm. colour of the cast uh, news and reviews and yeah our top three a top secret top three we want to keep you guys listening hanging on so first up as always we have the exciting tell and tell so um, Sophie tell me things um, I've very much slowed down on my knitting at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking slowly because of my sedate knitting nature. I've still been doing this Twist hat, which, honestly, I don't know how this hat is taking so long. I just <laughs> have been, like, every now and again just doing Arrow, and, um, but it's getting there. That's still my massive backbone of projects. Mm-hmm. And I did dig up quite a few works in progress that I've been doing. A couple of podcasts ago, I mentioned I was doing a weird giant manatee for my sister. Yes. And I realised how little I had to do on that. So that was great. So I kind of stuffed the whole body. So it's like this big lozenge thing in the corner (laughs) of my living room. (laughs) Because it doesn't have any fins or like features at the moment. So it's just a big grey blob. Which is what a manatee is really in the corner of the room for the moment. But that kind of progressed a little bit. Cool. Well, that's good. And, well, I have finished my Coronis jumper that I was knitting. Beautiful. And I wore it all this week. Sort of like I did when I finished Quadrillion. Mm-hmm. And I just wore that for, like, two weeks. So, 
Yeah, it's great. And I've been getting many compliments. I'm pleased. It's sort of in fun unicorn colours because it's purple and it's got pink in it as well. So I feel a little bit like, yeah, like I should be wearing more things with unicorns and rainbows on. Okay. So maybe you should just dye your hair and have like a long pony tail. I prob- <laughs> probably should. I-, I dug out some earrings that I used to wear when I was much- like a teenager that are just like massive silver hearts. Because they said it felt <laughs> like it sort of went with my new kind of like my little pony theme princess bubblegum princess bubblegum well because i am princess bubblegum yes so that's my main achievement um and it's because well you know for reasons that will become clear i've been very busy recently so Mm -hmm. less less knitting but you know finishing a jumper i'm pretty chuffed yeah congrats chuffing uh (laughs) as the welsh say anyway anyway um so yeah bit slow on the knitting but mm-hmm. i tell you what it's instant, instant gratification if you don't have the time to knit you just need to look on ravelry for interestingly themed things and i have particularly started looking at all the halloween themed projects that we you are have. in the month of halloween yeah exactly and i thought you guys would like to know my favorites because um, yeah. well i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> one of the well if we start with pom-poms actually there's an amazing blog, uh, a girl called Meredith does a blog called One Sheepish Girl, mm-hmm. and she had um, a Halloween craft a couple, of, maybe a couple of years ago, but I remembered how cool it was. It was like a little orange pom-pom, and then you put a little twig in the top with a leaf, and then it's like a little pumpkin. See, now there's nothing pom-poms can't do. Exactly. <laughs> pom-poms. Is there anything they can't do? No. Um, <laughs> another cool pattern I found was a skull shawl. Um, by I'm going to pronounce this wrong. So it's Kungan Ock Magics. Magics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really great, like uh, crochet, very uh, fine shawl. But then you have each kind of repeating mot- motif of like a skull. I like skulls. Yeah, and they you know either for Halloween or just like the general goth look. It's very versatile. Incredibly versatile. Yeah. I feel like um, I've been told that goth fashion is in. Because right? the 90s is back. Oh, right. So. so that's why unicorns are fashionable in my brain. <laughs> it's the same place that goths live. <laughs> goths and unicorns, such happy bedfellows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it makes, you know, I think the exciting goth skull shawl, mm. good plan. like it. And also, I found some really cool, it's a free pattern, the bat knitting pattern, which is what it's called. Uh, a catchy title, but it's by Linda Dawkins. Um, and it's just really simple, like flat garter stitch bats so I think they look, I'd really like to do some because they just look so quick and satisfying really like to see them like hung up on a piece of string and you know how they kind of droop down oh cool if you hung them up from the middle I just think that'd be really fun bats are so awesome yeah we used to go out bat spotting when I was a kid because they fly in a really weird way don't they they don't fly like birds they yeah. fly all sort of jaggedy yeah that's how, that's how you can tell kids that's how you tell isn't it? <laughs> So go go bat spotting. Well, for me, Halloween is my little brother's birthday. Oh, nice. I remember when my mum went to hospital to have him, I was dressed as a witch <laughs> <laughs> doing a trick or treat. And I think I wasn't, I don't, I feel like, you know, we were doing trick or treat and I was with one of my mum's friends and mm. she said, your mum's going to hospital now to have, you know, your little brother or sister. And I was like, okay, are we still doing trick or treat? <laughs> They were like, yes. I thought, good. You got the best treat of all, which was a little brother. Yes, eventually. Was it a trick? (laughs) So, of course, my brother is sick of Halloween. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I will make him a bat and it will hopefully revive his love Mm. of this uh, exciting festival of dead stuff. (laughs) (laughs) 
missing news of this month slash week. <laughs> Lydia, Pom Pom went to Ali Pali. Tell us more about that. We did. We went to the knitting and stitching show in Alexandra Palace, which we like to call Ali Pali. Cool. Pleasing. <laughs> Pleasing. Satisfying. Al's pals. Mm, Al's pals. <laughs> It's getting shorter and shorter every year. It's yeah. just a p- at now. A p- so um, it's giant. Alexandra Palace, for those of you who don't know, is a very large building. It's a palace. Um, yes, a very historic place. It was the first public tr- broadcast of then what they called high-definition television. It was first made from Alexandra Palace in 1936. Wow. So, Wait, yeah. so they were broadcasting TV from Ali Pali? Yep. Holy moly. Now people go there and buy yarn. By yarn and well, I mean, because there were all sorts of stitch-related crafts. There was lots of quilting and fabric. I bought some moose fabric from Merchant and Mills. Right, you're gonna say moose yarn. I was like, (laughs) made from moose velvet from their antlers. No, they kind of use them as a swift to wind the yarn around. But it was Canadian Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. um, and being half a Canadian, I paid tribute to this by buying moose fabric. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Very modern. I'm not much of a seamstress, but I am planning to learn to make things like dresses, and I would like to have a moose dress, so that's my big plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was lots of fun. We um, yeah hung out in a big palace and <laughs> had pom-pom there, and we saw lo- all sorts of exciting people, Rachel Coopy and the lovely ladies from Bar Ram U. Um, I got some Titus, and in fact, I got an awesome knit your own dash dashing dash hund kit mm. with a little. I don't normally make toys, but it's a really cute little dog, so I'm very excited about that. And is that from Bar Ram U or someone else? Yeah, it's from Bar Ram U. Yes, and Eden Cottage yarns mm-hmm. were there, and I was very excited because I found because I was going through Finsbury Park every day to get to Ali Pali. Um, it turns out that there is a chicken shop called Eden's Cottage. <laughs> <laughs> in Finsbury Park so I sent um, them a picture of that which I think was good and amusing probably the highlight of the week for them <laughs> yeah I was like I didn't know you were branching out into the fast food business <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah it was it was lots of fun thank mm-hmm. you excellent this was when you were gallivanting in the countryside like an elf yes I was <laughs> <laughs> doing the day job and then doing some gallivanting so uh, <laughs> I didn't come exciting times yeah and um, so that's my news. But more importantly, we have reviews. We have our first groundbreaking yarn review. Yeah, so Sophie has um, tested out a very exciting yarn for us. Um, from Blacker Yarns, our sponsor. Yes, from the wonderful Blacker Yarns. That's going to sound really gross. <laughs> <laughs> from the wonderful Blacker Yarns who specialise in lovely British breeds. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a little bit of over-dyeing every now and then. They have a lot of natural colours. Um, and what do we have here, Sophie? Tell me what we got. So today we have the Blacker Elegance. It's the Falklands Corriedale with British alpaca. And it's a four-ply? It's a four-ply, yes it is indeed. Um, it's a mix of 80% new wool and 20% alpaca. Now, the feel of it, initially, it's a bit crunchy. You know when you get that pure... That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know when you get that pure wool? Yes. And it's kind of that bit Shetlandy mm-hmm. kind of crunchy rough. So I was like, hmm, not for... Is it going to be great next to the skin? And I thought, like, maybe it's kind of more of an outer jumper thing. But after knitting with it and after blocking with it, it has bloomed slightly. So um, I'm looking at a swatch now. <laughs> analyzing analyzing oh it's really nice because it's got that kind of nice woolly definition and yeah the kind of good crunchiness where it's holding its shape 
and looks very warm and lovely, but it's got a nice halo, hasn't it? Yeah, I think that's the, the alpaca. It's not too overly soft and kind of loose, which is sometimes you get with like a large percentage of alpaca. Um, not that there's not anything wrong with that. It's great for some projects, but this, it has a really good structure to it, which yeah. I, I really like knitting with it. Yeah. And well, I mean, because I don't really get itchiness, but I'm putting this on my wrist. It's not bothering mm, me. Yeah. Putting it against my neck. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Um, yeah, it's really lovely. So this comes in... Um, mostly, you were saying, they use natural colours. There is just a very... Um, muted palette of um, like whites and greys and the colour that I used which is called nutmeg which is like a very pale brown like beigey brown but they're not sort of solid flat colours they've got a nice kind of natural tweed to them yeah uh, and yeah and it also comes in a DK that's nice. handy yeah <laughs> any particular projects you feel would be suitable particularly suitable I'd probably use it for like a nice like more of a cardy something that's so it's not right next to my Skin, like a nice kind of rustic-y jumper or cardigan, you mm-hmm. know, like something for kind of walking. I can imagine myself walking in a country field somewhere wearing a rustic jumper. That's the kind of picture I'm painting with this yarn. Yeah, I think, um, well, because it seems like it would be really lovely and warm because with the alpaca as well. Alpaca and also, is such a warm thing. I'm reliably informed by blacker the way it's spun. It mm-hmm. uh, adds minute air pockets to the yarn, so it's wonderfully warm. Because I think... I'm imagining some fingerless gloves. Yes, very good. Or even proper gloves with fingers and everything. But I think that it would be <laughs> I see be your really... fingerless gloves and I raise you a, <laughs> I raise you a mitten. <laughs> yeah, and I think it would be awesome for colour work as well. Yeah, it's sometimes nice to have such a considered palette. Like, it's nice to, have, of course, have all the colours to choose from. But because it's so kind of uh, capsule, mm-hmm. uh, you can kind of use those natural colours to really kind of blend together and play against each other which I think would be beautiful yeah and I think also it would really work for um kind of like those love like you know remember I made a hap shawl did you make a hap shawl I yes. made a hap shawl everyone and I love it and I think this yarn would be super duper yes. good for something like that yeah as something well. really classic yeah yeah definitely that where you need that kind of it for it to hold the shape of something like the feather and fan yeah yeah it's because it's kind of got that stick to it with pure wool you know when sometimes you knit with a wool it's kind of yeah, exactly. And but it would also kind of be nice and warm and it's got that nice fuzziness to it. Yes. Mm. Very so that good. Was elegance by blacker. Elegance by name. Elegance, elegance by, by nature. Knit- knitting nature. <laughs> Wonderful. And actually, speaking of Shetland related things such as hap shawls, we have our mini review now of the new Shetland Trader book, aptly named the Shetland Trader Book Two. Why is that? I think it's because it's the second one. Oh, oh okay, yeah. Yeah, so um, Gudrun Johnson of Shetland Trader fame has released her second book of patterns. Very exciting. Super exciting. Well, because Shetland Trader book one, big hit. So we talk more about Gudrun's book and the patterns in the book a little bit more in the interview, which is coming up. But we thought you'd give our, our top favourites, uh, our top picks from the book now, mm-hmm. um, part of our review. So I love Farrell. I haven't knit a lot of Farrell, but I just appreciate looking at it and I think of all these wonderful things that one day I'm gonna gonna do a whole Farrell jumper. And if jumpsuit, you, yeah, jumpsuit, <laughs> exactly. If you want an all-over Farrell jumper, I'd recommend Northdale, which is beautiful. Um, 
And then also for a little subtle touch of Farah, mm-hmm. there's Nika Vord, which has like a repeating kind of star snowflake yoke. Lovely. Um, just a little bit of hint of colour. Mm-hmm. And the Herman Hermanness hats. I always choose the ones where I'm not sure about the pronunciation. Because <laughs> um, I love a classic hat, you know. Well, who, who doesn't, really? And the colours used in the uh, samples are really nice kind of yellowy lichen green mm-hmm. um, and another kind of more moss green. Oh, it's the, it's the Brooklyn Tweed Loft. Very nice. There you go. Painting a picture for you guys already, mm-hmm. if you know that yarn. As many of you do. Yes, and actually, the blacker elegance would be an excellent uh, yeah, nice, sub. Nice little linky there. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> um, and my faves... Are you oh, going to choose all the ones that I didn't choose to be obstinate now? Maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, I like how we have such complimentary taste, oh. and then Sophie had to make it a negative, didn't you? <laughs> no. Bloody hell. Okay, so I am a fan of Bolter, um, which is a sort of sleeveless top with a lovely kind of lace um, design at the top part of it, the sort of shoulder area. Breasticle. Breasticle area, <laughs> above breasticle zone. And it's also got a nice kind of keyhole at the back. And a very attractive kind of pico edge. And it's made in um, Quince & Co. Sparrow, I believe. Yes. Oh, they're lovely which, linen yarn. Beautiful mm. linen, yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of that yarn. I made a shawl in it once and I've been wanting to knit with it ever since. So I am a big fan of Bolter, which is very lovely. I did Leader. Yeah. Which did is you? really, yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. No, I gave it to somebody as a gift mm. before I had a chance to... It was one of those ones where I literally... It just came off the blocking <laughs> wires. I had to wrap it up and give it to someone. And that was when they only made the natural colour. Oh, yeah. Which mm. is super duper. But now they have many, many colours to choose from. Mm-hmm. So, um, moving on from Bolter. My other favourite is Belmont. So, I'm... The, um, this podcast is sponsored by the letter B today. <laughs> Bol- Bolter, Belmont. And Belmont is a, a lovely little cardi. Um, with a sort of almost like zigzaggy lace pattern. Mm. Um, it's quite a fitted cardi. And it's made in the Jameson and Smith Shetland Heritage, which I had the pleasure of having a look at when I was at Ali Pali. Actually, hey. I forgot to mention that Jameson's were there. Um, and so they had like all the colours of Spindrift, which was super fun. And they were all in like rainbow order and looked delightful. Oh, that does sound... Oh, sounds very satisfying. <laughs> I do like it's things... Like Sophie's dream come true. I do like true. things organised in rainbow colours. <laughs> colour blocking things <laughs> and it's actually a three ply which is exciting oh yeah mm. Mm. so and yeah I like I don't know I am a big fan of a classic cardi can't, it can't be beat you're right you know I mean what's better than a jumper a jumper that you can easily open when you're feeling a little bit warm but not warm <laughs> enough to take the jumper off I mean it's really a, a feat of human engineering you're explaining how cardigans work <laughs> yes <laughs> So those are my faves. Well, I can't wait to hear what Gudrun had to say when we chat to her. She is super charming. So listen on, guys. Charming. That's exactly the word. (laughs) She was so charming. (laughs) Lovely lady. Okay. Let's Let's listen. listen to her now. Claim a 
before we begin, we had some technical difficulties towards the end of the interview, so we haven't been able to include as much Gudrun as we would have liked. But you can check out the blog for a little on the missing section, and don't worry when you hear the popping sounds at the end. We think it might be weather-related, but we can't rule out popcorn interference. So apologies for that. Today we're joined by Gudrun Johnson, known for her beautiful Fair Isle and lace Shetland-inspired knits. You may know her better as the Shetland trader. And appropriately, she joins us today from Shetland. Hi, Gudrun. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So you're there in Shetland as part of Shetland Wool Week. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, what's happening and your involvement in it today? Yes. Um, this is the fifth, I believe, uh, Wool Week that Shetland has had. So it's this annual um, wool fibre event. And... Um, in the past, I've been here at sometimes just as an attendee and a couple of times I've taught um, as well. This year, um, I am teaching one class um, as part of the official Wool Week um, event, but I've also brought a group of knitters, um, some from North America, a couple from Canada, a couple of Europeans. Um, so we're kind of doing our own thing as well as attending some of the Wool Week events and just kind of soaking it all up, really. Wonderful. And how's the weather there at the moment? It's um, awful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Currently, it's awful. Um, It wasn't a couple of days ago, but, you know, that's Shetland. Um, It's atmospheric, and uh, I think my group um, love it, you know. It's uh, severe gales, pretty much, is what we're heading into right now, and um, lashing rain. Um, But but it's still beautiful. (laughs) Good. Cool. Um, so, um, we have, you know, a fairly kind of straightforward question, but it's always a fun one to ask. Um, how did you start knitting and who taught you? Well, um, I have been asked this question, um, a lot and, um, I don't exactly remember who taught me. I think it was probably a primary school teacher that I had in Scotland, um, round about the age of, you know, sort of nine, ten. Um, was when I was first um, can remember knitting Um, and I remember making a really you know hideous I don't know pale green vest thing (laughs) but (laughs) thankfully I don't own it anymore so um, but that's my memory Um, I did it for a brief spell and um, didn't really get back into it until about 10-ish years ago actually when I had moved to America um, and that was when I was sort of reintroduced to knitting, um, despite the fact that, um, my mum was a, a knitwear designer in Shetland in the seventies and, um, she had a business here, um, called the Shetland Trader mm-hmm. and, um, she, but she didn't actually do the knitting for, um, for her business. It was a, you know, mail order business. Um, so she wasn't writing patterns for hand knitters. Um, they were ready to wear garments um, and she had local knitters um, knit up um, parts um, of the garment and then some of it was done on machines as well Um, but I was only four um, when she was doing this three or four something like that so you know um, I wasn't exactly aware of it um, at the time Um, and then as I say when I moved to America um, I'm married to an American that's why I ended up there And um, actually, my daughter had um, somebody else had made her um, a blanket, you know, as a baby. And she was very attached to it, you know, for all for her first five years of life. And then we moved to America and 
she had lost this blanket many times before, but we moved and she, she we left it in the Reykjavik airport in Iceland. And I was like, we're not getting that back. You know, it was gone. Um, so I walked past this yarn shop in uh, Western Massachusetts and um, saw this lovely kind of poncho thing in there. Walked in and asked for the pattern and the yarn, and uh, the woman there was like, "So, do you know how to like? Do you know how to pick up stitches and blah blah?" And I and I nodded, like I, thinking I have no idea. I have no idea what she's talking about, but but I was too proud to like ask for help. I'm not really sure why, but um, and I just went off, and um, that was really the start of it. I mean, it wasn't the start of the designing, obviously, but it was the start of uh, getting back into knitting. And I found that you know there were things that uh obviously were just you know in my fingers still like I could you know remember how to do things and um and I looked things up when I didn't know how to do them um or I asked friends you know the area we moved to um definitely a very fiber loving area um so I had met you know lots of new friends who knit and um could show me how to do things and really um quite quickly I found myself you know I don't know, altering patterns or just making up my own stuff and um, just got really obsessed with it <laughs> very fast. Um, that was sort of the beginning of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my first, the first pattern that I had published was with uh, Nitty.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they offered a lot of help with um, all the pattern writing aspect, which was very new, obviously, to me. I didn't know anything about that. Um, but there was a lot of support there, um, which was great. Um, and I think I was, you know, I lucky that I started doing it at a time when sites like Ravelry were um, starting um, and, you know, there was a platform there really for me to um, launch myself and um, and access other designers and, you know, and I reached out, you know, I asked other people for advice and um, and people were very... Um, good at responding, you know, um, and helping me out. So that was great. Wonderful. It seems that it's gone from strength to strength, the certain trader since then. So that's, that's great. Yeah, um, it really has. I feel incredibly fortunate. Good. Um, so you, you said how your mom had the company originally, the certain trader. Why do you think it's so important to um, keep those traditions alive? Not only what your mom started, but sort of use a lot of uh Shetland dialect and uh techniques and uh patterns why why is that so important to keep it um so relevant now um well I mean I I was you know I think it's important to keep any kind of tradition alive but um at the same time you know it's important to kind of um experiment and you know um set it in a contemporary way um and you know I feel like that's partly what I'm doing at the same time as respecting the traditions you know that have always been there um you know and I think it's obviously in Shetland it's it's particularly important to um for them to hold on to the things that they you know have created over all these years um the the constructions and the patterns and all of that um but I definitely think it's important for new designers to be looking at it from different angles as well. Um, yeah. And that really excites me, you know, to see um, looking at, especially this week, you know, during Wool Week, obviously they're celebrating that. They're celebrating the the old and the new. Um, and I love seeing the two together. You know, it's so inspiring. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And because I know that you use a lot of 
um, seamless techniques for your garments and so on. Yeah. And that's kind of, for me, associated with Shetland. Yes, absolutely. Um, a lot of um, Shetland knitters, you know, would much rather knit seamlessly um, than in pieces. It's more kind of the more mass-produced um, garments that end up getting put together, you know, so the things that are made um, in a more factory-like setting, they are still made in pieces and then they're linked together. But the hand knitters, you know, they will definitely, um, they will alter patterns, you know, even if they're knit for flat pieces so that they're um, worked as seamlessly as possible. Hmm. Yep. So um, obviously, you know, reconnecting with Shetland and your kind of roots there are very inspiring for you. Um, would you say that's kind of the main source of your inspiration? And what about um, where you live in America now? Has that been, has that kind of changed your kind of palette or the way you design or anything? Um, I think, you know, it's definitely sort of a blend of the two. Um, I mean, I'm definitely very inspired by you know, the colours in Shetland, you know, and I don't think, you know, any knitter can not be <laughs> inspired <Right. Yeah>. <laughs> in this landscape. You know, it's just it's all around you. Um, but I do feel like, you know, I owe a lot to um, my time in America um, in terms of just exposure to um uh, I don't know, other construction methods and um, I wouldn't, I don't know, I think I am inspired by the landscape in New England where I live um, as well, for sure, especially in the fall, um, autumn time, um, you know, those are my colours, you know, <laughs> I, I love that palette um, in particular. Um, but when I was getting into designing, it felt like a natural thing for me to look to my Shetland roots. Um, and I was, you know, interested to explore those traditional um, lace patterns in particular. That's kind of been my main passion. Um, you know, I have done a bit of Fair Isle, but not, um, not extensively. And I certainly don't feel like, you know incredibly competent in it myself you right. know I'm, I'm sort of just tentatively exploring that right now um but it's it's been I've yeah found it a very rewarding experience to um to look at the traditions of the the Shetland lace patterns and um and then I've tried to kind of put it into a contemporary context um well it's good one of those things about knitting you always end up learning something new there's always something you can improve on you think yes i'm great sock knitter yeah and then there's yeah there's a whole other area that you can yeah there'll be like a new heel that you've never yeah, done yeah there before, we go yeah or something like exactly. that exactly <laughs> well for instance i don't knit socks at all like ah. i just you know i think i've knit you know two pairs of socks like you know <laughs> so you're right there is there's always something to explore um and again every time i come back here and now that i'm running these trips you know and i'm bringing these groups of people and we're interacting with you know Shetland um designers and knitters um and I you know I pick up something new every time um and the interesting thing is that you know it's different within Shetland too you know um different areas of Shetland do traditional things slightly differently you know like knitting is not set in stone no. you know so <laughs> it's it is that blend of sort of yes respecting traditions but you know we're always um, experimenting and people are always doing some things, some things a little bit differently, you know. Yeah, and I love that. You know, that's very freeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, I know that um, I've been told. I haven't really seen it very much actually. That um, people 
in the northern parts of the British Isles will knit with will often knit with one needle under their arm. Does that happen in Shetland? Um, I'm not sure if that happens in Shetland, but people, a lot of people in Shetland still knit with knitting belts. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. So I don't know if you've seen those, mm, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it's um, it's a belt, but it <laughs> has a pouch um, and they're made from leather, um, a pouch that's stuffed with horsehair and they use longer double pointed needles. And so they anchor, you know, the, the knitting needle in the belt. Mm. Um and yes, that's still very commonly seen um, here in Shetland. Um, wow. So I, I mean, I haven't, I mean, I personally haven't seen somebody anchoring it under their arm, but I'm sure it happens. You yeah. Know, it's, it's the same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, how do you knit? Well, I knit with circular needles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do everything on circular needles. Um, I do own a knitting belt, but I don't. I, you know, I don't really know how to use it. You know, yeah. um, I don't own long double pointed needles. And um, when I discovered circular needles and things like magic loop and all of this kind of stuff, um, I found it, um, I don't know, just more appealing for me. Yeah. I always felt like straight needles, would they would go up my sleeves and <laughs> I don't know, I felt like they got in the way. So I personally, yes, o- only use circular needles. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're in... Um in good company there (laughs) (laughs) but I love seeing people using the knitting belts you know um in fact this group that we have here um this week um they had dinner with Hazel Tyndall um who is this uh Woolweeks um patron Mm -hmm. um so um she came and had dinner with us and she's also um at one point, she was the world's fastest knitter. Maybe she still holds that title. I wow. don't know. We'll but, you know, <laughs> you see her with a knitting belt and it's just effortless. You know, I mean, she's so fast. Mm. Um, so it's it's definitely something to aspire to. So. Well, it's good to have someone you can admire and see, see their technique for the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so we have um, a question, like one of our standard favourite questions we like to ask people is, uh, if you're stranded on a desert island... And you have an unlimited supply of yarn, uh, all the colours. What kind of yarn would it be? Like you can choose a, a thickness and a fibre blend. I think probably um, weight-wise, um, I would want a fingering weight mm-hmm. yarn. Um, I tend to, um, yeah, I think more predominantly design and knit with um, that weight. Um and I think I would just want it to be 100% wool, mm. you know? Do I get to have more lots of colours as well? Yeah, yep, yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> Fingering weight yarn, 100% wool and lots of colours. Would it be... pretty Shetland, right? Yes, because, you know, who knows what the weather's going to be like on a desert island, you know? I need some wool that's going to, like, repel the rain and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's my answer (laughs) great (laughs) and we also have another um question that we like to ask which is um what's your spirit animal (laughs) (laughs) um you know (laughs) that's also a hard question Mm -hmm. yeah Um, (laughs) it's hard hitting interviews here you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah um probably so i'm not gonna really like give you a specific animal um other than to say um a migratory bird oh lovely yeah and why is that i mean well because um you know i'm from uh, scotland 
um, but I married an American, so, you know, I live in America right now, um, and I'm, you know, pretty migratory. <laughs> Can I go back and forth? Because it's really hard <laughs> to decide where to be. Um, you know, I miss Scotland a lot. I love where I live in America. Um, so my family and I have, we've gone back and forth a lot over these last, ooh, like almost 17 years that I've been married. Um, so, you know, and I have dual citizenship now and sort of my kids. Um, so that feels like the most appropriate thing, really, for me to be a migratory um, bird. Cool. I don't know which one exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send you some options and you can okay. decide at a later date. That's fine. <laughs> Great. There's lots of cute ones in Shetland. There's, the, you know, there's several to choose from, really. Okay. Um, that are all appealing. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, on a slightly different note, back to the um, knitting-related things. Mm-hmm. So um, you have obviously quite recently released the Shetland Trader book too. Which yes, is I did. Very exciting. Um, I mean, it was a long time in the works um, in that I released Shetland Trader book one four years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and I decided, oh, hey, let's call that book one. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> <the> book one <laughs> that sort of implies that there's going to be a book two. Ah. Um, so, you know, I had definitely been, you know, intending and I'm thinking about it for those, uh, you know, um, years in between. Um but it's really just been kind of this last year, you know, maybe six to nine months that um, I've been working on it, you know, um, specifically. Um, the sort of self-imposed deadline was that I was coming to Shetland this summer. And um, again, for uh, bringing a group of knitters um, for a trip. And one of those knitters that attended um, is also a great photographer. And I was like, ah, great. I can ask her to photograph the collection in Shetland again, um, which she agreed to do. And I was very happy about that. Kathy Cadigan um, Mm -hmm. from Seattle. And um, so that was my sort of deadline for having all of the, you know, the knitting done. Um, And then I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if it was ready by Wool Week? Um, So that sort of... um, had a knock-on effect of making sure that, you know, the graphic designer had the patterns and then the printer knew that I needed it by this time. I mean, literally, I drove up to the printers sort of two days before I left um, America to pick up copies that I could bring to Woolworth. Um, so it's very hot off the presses. Um, yeah. That's the way to do a deadline, you know, right up to the, right up to the mark. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I, I needed that. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for talking to us all the way from Shetland. Enjoy the rest of Wall Week and have a safe trip back to the States. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. 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 Well, thanks again to Gudrun for speaking to us, despite the weather difficulties that we had, um, from the Shetlands, which sound fantastic. Yeah, what a lovely lady. Yes, and hopefully one day we'll make it to Wool Week, but for the time being, we can but dream of wool and weeks (laughs) together in their glory. That's Um, my dreams every night. um, Yes, so now we get to move swiftly and smoothly onto the colour of the cast, which is... 
colour of the cast this week is purple. Do you like purple? Well, well, I'm not crazy about purple. And a mutual friend of ours who listens to the podcast picked me up on this and they said, you know, I I was catching up with the episodes because I hadn't listened to them for a while. And she's like, you wear every colour. Like, you know, floral is a neutral for you. You wear these crazy prints. But you never seem to like any of the colours. But you wear all the colours. And I think I just kind of get visually confused by them all. I don't know. Purple I'm not crazy about. <laughs> all right, fine. Well, as I'm a new purple convert, so mm. I'm going to be evangelical about it. I used to really dislike purple. Did I hate it? I didn't like or wear it for about ten years. I was pretty anti-purple. I used to have a really intense, intensely dark purple room. I was a teenage girl. What of it? I had a really dark purple room with Buffy posters. I think I had to have a break from it now, from Mm. purple. Well, it turns out that purple is a colour often well-liked by very creative or eccentric types and is the favourite colour of adolescent girls. You can't pigeonhole me with your factoids. (laughs) Can and will. (laughs) But it's funny because actually purple was my favourite colour when I was a young teenager. Mm. And then I went off it. And now I'm back on it. There's treatment for that. You can get help. Hey. Hey. Okay, so facts. Tell me at least one. So here's a fact. The colour purple as a dye, it was originally, it came from, ready for this, the mucus glands of a tropical sea snail. Gross. Mm. Gross or excellent factoid. (laughs) Uh, The snail is known as the murex, but its Latin name was purpura, which gives us the word purple. Whoa. So, wait, wait, wait. Murex. That murex. was the sea, That was the snail's name. Yeah. <laughs> what? Murex sort of sounds like... Well, it sounds like Durex, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know where you were going to go with that. And you went there. <laughs> I was sort of thinking it sounds kind of clinical. It sounds sort of like a... I don't know. Like... What's that thing they have in America? Xanax. It also sounds like that. It sounds, yeah, like a like a, a pharmaceutical. Yeah, but let's go with the Latin name because uh, we speak Latin here. Seem mm-hmm. purpura. <laughs> purpura. So we get purple. That's well. I mean, mucus gland. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> I have here in my notes for the podcast just the word mucus. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self: mucus. Anyway, moving on to the next delightful fact that we have. Um, this is also dye-related, as so many of our facts are. Mm. Mm. Um, purple was the colour of the first synthetic dye made by man. Ah. Exciting. It was called morvine and was made out of coal tar. Mucus <laughs> <laughs> and tar. Oh, God. See, this is why we didn't like purple. I, I mean, I do like purple now, but I can, you know, something inside us knew mm. that purple came from gross stuff. Anyway... Mm. The recipe was discovered by William Henry Perkin in 1856. Supposedly, it was an accidental discovery when he was cleaning up from a failed attempt. Mm. And it really did become a craze in Victorian times. Like, everyone then had yeah. purple. His portrait's in the National Portrait Gallery as well. Mm. I saw that recently. Is he thought, wearing a purple suit? I'm not sure that it's in colour. Right, okay. It might be a photograph. I can't remember now. I just remember thinking, gosh, Morvine, eh? Or uh, which Morvine. is where we get Mauve. Yes, yeah. Morvine. Mauve? Is it mauve or mauve? I'd say mauve. Oh dear, confusing. Anyway, you can write in and let us know how you think we should be pronouncing it. But anyway, okay, yeah. So that's um, second fact of the cast. 
So purple, um, as a colour, it symbolises often nobility and luxury. Um, this is partly from um, Roman emperors who used to use um, or have their togas dyed in purple. Mm. It took some 12,000 shellfish to extract the 1.5 grams of the pure dye. Holy smokes. So that would be for a single garment uh, for your Roman toga. So it's pretty, it's illustrating the luxury and the uniqueness. Yeah. The, um, what's the word, bespokeness. Yes. So That's yeah. purple. Wow. Yep. Well, I'm going to demonstrate my luxurious and bespoke nature mm-hmm. because Lydia was in the Bible. Yeah, Did it's you a get bi- biblical name. Yeah, I was in the Bible. I was there selling purple cloth to people. Oh, great. Yeah, because um, my great aunt was very pleased that me and my brother and sister's names were all in the Bible, but I think <laughs> it was an accident. Um, but a happy accident because, yeah, I was selling purple cloth, which I like to think of as being a sort of racy thing to do in the Bible. Well, as Prince would say, we only want to see you knitting with those purple skeins. That is exactly what Prince would say. Purple skein. Purple skein. Purple skeins. <laughs> <laughs> One last factoid. Mm-hmm. Purple is the most powerful wavelength of the rainbow. It's a factoid. Factoid. A little factet. Mini fact. Just think about that, guys. Just muse on a powerful rainbow. A powerful purple wavelength. Wavelength. <laughs> Mm. (laughs) so sophie i know that you don't like any colors actually and you're just pretending (laughs) to but if there's a purple that you hate the least which one is it well it's not like a true purple but madeline tosh's alizarin that's lovely because it kind of has all the colors in it it's like a coppery tone within it and then reds and purples it's Mm -hmm. quite a light purpley color i think that's gorgeous it's true, it's nice. I made um, a pair of fingerless gloves in that colour for my friend Annie. Because it feels like a kind of fun, hippie purple colour. Fun, hippie purple colour. Um, well, that's me. Yeah, you're a fun hippie. <laughs> um, well, now that I love purple, yep. I very much like the John Arbon purple that I made my Coronas ah, jumper in. That's fitting. It is. <laughs> it fits very well. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm. So a small selection within the shades of purple that we like. Yes. But I think it's better to have quality than quantity mm-hmm. sometimes. Well, we can always add some more to the blog post. Mm. Do a little more research. Mm. Um, okay, so for dinner today, me and Sophie had a Sophie very... So, sorry. Sophie hey, don't tell me about grammar. <laughs> I've read about it and it is perfectly acceptable for me to say me and. I'll send you a link as to why Stephen Pinker says so. And he's like a real linguist and everything. He's also Canadian, so he's great. Anyway... Me and Sophie. (laughs) Me and Sophie went and got a very exciting, well-known Italian bread, cheese and tomato-based dinner today. Any guesses? Pizza. Yes. I know because I I ate it, so I don't get any points. No. You do get a pat on the back, though. Yay! Yay! And we thought, hey, top three pizza toppings. So, Sophie, I think I'm ready to hear what your top three pizza toppings are. I think number three, within my three, Mm -hmm. would be tuna. Because when you have hot tuna, (laughs) (laughs) I've really thought about this, it transforms into like a different texture. You kind of get like, almost not dry, but kind of crunchy, but not crunchy. You get a different tuna texture. That's true. That's awesome. I think you need more of that within life. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, because it's not that often, I suppose, that you have warm tuna. 
or hot tutor, as well, you like to call it. <laughs> Too hot tutor. tutor. <laughs> um, like baked potato. Mm, that's not really hot. No. I don't know. Tuna melt. I mean, that, oh, that's true. That's, that's roasting hot. That just melts your face the second you bite. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I think this is cool enough now. Ah, meltingly hot cheese and tuna. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but that's different to tuna on top of a pizza because it gets crisped. Mm-hmm. Yes, so definitely that. Okay. Um, I'm torn between my top two. Right. But I definitely say ricotta, which is Ooh. amazing creaminess of deliciousness. Yeah. Which is great. Mm-hmm. Definitely want that on a pizza. And then. In my podcast notes, <laughs> I've just put egg novelty. <laughs> Which really could mean all manner of things. Yeah, in, th- in this case... It's not Easter, no, Sophie. No, no, no. In this case, it means how great is a whole egg on a pizza. Just the novelty of just a- cracking an egg on a big pizza and cooking it. Yeah. I think that would be my top. It makes it quite breakfasty. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no. You have a bit of bacon on the pizza as well. And then you have beans... And mushrooms. But it's like spinach, egg and bread. That's a legitimate breakfast food, isn't it? Okay. It's also a legitimate pizza. This is getting quite conceptual. It's true, it is. I mean, when I was younger and we used to go to Pizza Express, I mean, I still go to Pizza Express quite a lot, which yeah, is yeah. great. Um, but my mum always had the Fiorentina with the egg in it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I just, yeah, as I said on my notes to myself here, eggs, novelty. Yeah. That's why it's the number one for me. It is good, yeah. Yep. I can, I can sympathise with that. Okay. But it's not on my top three, oh, that's for sure. Oh, well, yes. I knew there'd be controversy in that. <sighs> so, I've put this at number three simply because, even though I think it is my favourite pizza topping, I have to have it infrequently due to the te- intensity of flavour. Right, oh. So, you're like, is she going to say... Truffles? Is she going to say... Caviar? <laughs> is she going to say mousse? No. <laughs> anchovies. Yes, well, I can totally agree with the intensity of an anchovy. They're delicious, though. Super salty. Oh, they're amazing. And oh, they're just so good. Yes, I love anchovies. But as I say, they are so intensely flavoured that I have to have an anchovy pizza sort of every fifth pizza I order. <laughs> well, I order quite a lot. Probably too much Every pizza. five days. Every uh, five days I have an anchovy pizza. <laughs> I must say, I did make a pizza with a friend and we were like, oh, anchovies. And we arranged them in this beautiful pattern and then when we ate it, it was literally just salt fest in our mouths. <laughs> and yeah, we, we overestimated the power of this tiny fish. So yes, number three is anchovies. Number two. Number two. <clears throat> let me just consult my notes. Okay. So number two um, is a specific pizza that I've had from one specific place, although I'm sure it exists in other places, mm-hmm. which is like an aubergine parmigiana pizza which has slices of aubergine and lots of garlic and lots and lots of parmesan and it is so tasty Mm, that's so good because sometimes i like to measure how delicious a pizza might be by how 3d the toppings are (laughs) i think it's a fair yeah way to do it so like the more 3d just to make sure that everyone's on the same page here Mm -hmm. the more 3d the more delicious yep the higher the stack the closer to god (laughs) exactly exactly so but this um pizza contravenes all those laws right because it's completely flat because the slices of aubergine are really really thin Ah, and flat not chunky slices not chunky slices at all they're very very thin and parmesan as we all know melts Mm. doesn't retain its original shape no unless you put Um, a block of parmesan (laughs) right yeah (laughs) strange pizza and then um just garlic is not 3d in its flavor (laughs) is it really That was the thought of the day. Unless you have a big bulb of it. And again, this is very like 
what do they call it when it's deconstructed food and you just get yeah, yeah. um so that's my number two it's delicious and number one i'm going for a very upmarket version of a margarita right which goes a little something like this it would be fresh buffalo mozzarella yeah with fresh um, marinated tomatoes. I've had oh, this pizza. It's fancy. really good. And it also has a regular tomato base underneath just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it also comes with rocket on top mm-hmm. and parmesan shavings. Mm. And it's just amazing. Because realistically, in the scale of all the good foods in the world, a good tomato and mozzarella salad is like up there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sophie's not so sure. I'm no, sure. I'm thinking about this. I'm like, yeah, well. Cheese and tomato together. Cheese and tomatoes are always a winning combo. I can't argue with that. Yeah. And so just like super duper good cheese and tomato on a really good... We, we both agreed on thin, crispy oh, basis. Yes. Definitely. Okay. That's why we're friends. <laughs> yeah, otherwise it would never work. <laughs> um, so that's my number one. I love it. Well, we'd love to hear if you don't agree or if you do agree. If you think eggs are novelty and there should be more novelty egg dishes. What about a Cadbury's cream egg <laughs> on a pizza? Yes. Well, it seems that pizza toppings are not a massively controversial topic. True. So that's good. We didn't have to categorise them via HMRC's website or anything like that, unlike with cake and biscuit. Would it be too general to say that everyone loves pizza? Have you met anyone who doesn't like pizza? No, actually. So there we go. It's unanimous. It's decided. It is unanimous. I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't... Who? Who doesn't like pizza? Somebody must not like well, pizza. Well, somebody must not. But. If you don't like it, then you can tell us. Yeah. We won't like you anymore. Oh. But, oh. <laughs> but it's like how I thought everyone liked The Simpsons, and then I met someone who didn't like The Simpsons. Nah, they weren't human. It's okay. They probably don't like pizza either. Oh, but there we go. It's <laughs> <laughs> painfully clear. Ridiculous people. Anyway, but we like you guys, and thanks for listening. We do. And we're very um, appreciative of all the listens that we get, mm-hmm. and we look forward to bringing you more exciting uh, podcast fun mm-hmm. next month. I'm sad this is over. It seems to have gone very quickly this podcast. Yeah, it's flown by. Oh, we'll see you next time, guys. Enjoy Halloween. Bye. Bye. Starlight. And right. Produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with lots of help from Eli Block, who created the music for this show. For more Eli-related music, go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Big thanks to Megan, the co-founder and editor of Pom Pom, and to our interviewee, Gudrun Johnson. Thanks again to Blacker for sponsoring this podcast, and of course, we'd like to say a big thank you to all you Pom Pom buyers, subscribers, and now listeners. Send any feedback or suggestions to podcast at pompommag.com and don't forget to join our thread on the Pom Pom Ravelry group.
Get up.